0: So many of us have grown up in America knowing our country was better than other countries and and believed that we were better than other countries because God had blessed us beyond other countries because we were gooder than other countries, if I can use that bad grammar. We believe our founding fathers were directed by God to write the declaration of independence to go to war and send our poor young men to battle an empire because it was ordained by heaven that we do so and we win wars over and over again because we're so economically blessed we militarily are blessed and therefore god must like us better than other countries and then we use that military might to put down evil. I've even had Christians say, if the United States military was ever taken away, then evil would reign in the world. Is all of that true? Does God like America more than other countries? Are we better than other countries? Are we more righteous? Than other countries is our mentality and our mindset as a people more godly than other countries are we a christian nation and therefore god's plan on earth can exist through us and therefore we religiously must try and impose our evangelical civil our evangelical beliefs into the civil code that's That's the belief system of the American right wing evangelical church. Now, is it true? And is it somehow, maybe, instead rooted in a myth of who we are as a people altogether? And is there actual evidence that that belief system is a myth, although complicated and not simply black or white, right or wrong, but more? of a little bit of an overbuilt self-belief system and individualistic belief system than what Jesus might agree with. These are the unconventional conversations we want to have as we look at what a post-evangelical world and a post-evangelical America looks like. Join me as we have a discussion with Lauren D'Amico to talk about this. And as I say that, I want you to help support what we do here. Go to my Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash NPE podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash NPE nonpartisan evangelical podcast. And you can help financially support the work we do here in the pastor paul community and telling the world god is not mad at you and today we're talking to the world and saying is there a chance our american self-belief is a myth and if it is what is the danger of that myth join me as we talk about it in our unconventional conversations in the post-evangelical podcast with lauren d'amico right now All right. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. I'm Paul Sweringen, otherwise known as Pastor Paul on social media. Glad you're with me on the podcast today. And we've got a really interesting topic that I think is important to talk about. Some of you, even some of you sort of in your deconstructing phase might not find it a great topic and a little bit disconcerting, but it is the idea of the myth of American exceptionalism. And how has that myth sort of worked its way into our church buildings and the and the sense that our patriotism and our Christianity go together. You see Lauren D'Amico on the screen with me. We've had him on the podcast before. It's been quite a while now, um, yeah. but Lauren is the founder of a, a popular Facebook page called Intersecting Faith and Politics that was very popular around the time of the election of Donald Trump. And Lauren is now, would we call you an expat at this point? I I don't know quite what
1: to call me. I'm sort of an expat, except I'm still working for American companies. So I'm I'm just
0: confused. Okay, well, Lauren uh, is uh, is somebody on our team with our Sunday community, where we're just trying to figure out what faith and spirituality looks like now in in what I'm calling the post-evangelical era. And so, Lauren, I'm glad to have you with me. And sort of the premise of you being on the podcast today is is you wrote a blog that we posted on our nonpartisan evangelical website. It's linked for those uh, uh, live with us on YouTube to be able to see it there, or we'll put it in the notes. But it is entitled The Myth of American Exceptionalism. And you come to this podcast from an interesting perspective of somebody who moved in 2020 from Wisconsin to Italy. And this is your view back at America from somebody who now lives Overseas, so welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being with us, and tell us a little bit about that journey from Wisconsin to Italy.
1: Yeah, thanks, Paul, and and glad to connect again. We we were doing a whole bunch of these. Gosh, <laughs> it's probably been a year and a half ago now. Uh, yeah. During the last election, it's it's fun to be back on again.
0: I think I think I said the election of Donald Trump. It was actually the election of Joe Biden that Donald yes. Trump still hasn't conceded at this point.
1: <laughs> yes, thankfully, it was not the election of Donald Trump. <laughs> Um, uh, which is, which is actually an interesting thing. When we were on our way into Italy, we, we ended up quarantined in the UK, uh, cause we were traveling during COVID. And so we got to watch the election of what looked like it was going to be Donald Trump, uh, from the UK perspective, uh, narrated to us by the UK television. So that was a, that was a fascinating, uh, fascinating interaction.
0: Wow. So how did you uh, end up in Italy?
1: Yeah, so, so my great-grandparents moved from Sicily to the United States back in the early 1900s. Um, at that point, Italy was a very poor country. Uh, people were, were immigrating to the United States. They were giving up their Italian citizenship, gaining American citizenship, and becoming Americans. And so my, my extended family did that. Um, fast forward, I, I'll, I'll skip about a, a gap of 100 years or so, my dad found out that because of the exact sequence of, of these events, we were eligible for getting uh, Italian dual citizenship. So in the, in the middle of the pandemic, I, uh, I talked with my wife one night and said, hey, you know, why, why be in Wisconsin through the middle of winter in the middle of a pandemic? Let's go see what we can do in Italy and see if we can get uh, Italian citizenship. So we, we did that last, uh, well, we came over last November, uh, just, just over a year ago now and fell in love with being here and and decided to stay.
0: And interesting in reading your blog you you found out something about America from from being there and and looking back and that that maybe America is not everything we're told that it is on a regular basis. Yeah, it is
1: it's been fascinating. So I I mentioned in the blog I've been out of the country oh gosh, probably eight or 10 times now, something like that. There's, there's been a few that have been extremely impactful times. And this was definitely one of those, where I was able to, you know, encounter a completely different culture. And it's, it's been remarkable because I think, you know, the first couple of times I was going on missions trips. So there's, there's very much that, that uh, mindset of, this is a culture that needs me because clearly I'm the white American that can solve everybody's problems, I guess. I don't know. Um, whereas this time it was, I'm trying to get out of America. America is looking like a mess with, with Trump and you know with whatever was gonna happen with the election. And so I was very open to see what are the differences and at the same time to go, well, are these differences actually better or are they worse?
0: Was So was there some of that, that you had the citizenship opportunity, but was there a driver of, hey, we're not exactly sure where America's going in this season?
1: Yes, absolutely. The, the reason that we were sitting in the UK during quarantine, during the election, was in large part because we wanted to make sure we were out of the country prior to the election because we were concerned about what might happen, uh, whether Trump got elected or didn't get elected. And you know obviously, we got to see a little bit of that on January 6th. Um, thankfully it waited two months, but that was, that was a lot of the questions going through our mind. And so we went, you know, what, let's, let's get out and see this from afar and see what happens.
0: And, uh, and I'm, I'm honestly, when we hear that with the, the Mark Meadows uh, things that were released by the January 6th commission this week um, and see where Americans and Christians are still in all of this, who are followers of Trump. I'm not sure that January 6th was the end of it. I think it may, it may actually be more the start than the end. No, I've, I've heard that numerous times
1: described as the, the kind of trial run, so to speak, or the, you know, the, the just attempt to see what would happen. Um, I, I presume that they expected it wouldn't work quite as well. Cause it seemed like once they got in, nobody quite knew what to do. Um, So the scary part is maybe next time they'll know what to do once they get in and won't be spending their time sticking their feet on Pelosi's desk and will be doing something more um, productive. I hate to use that word in this sense, but yeah, um, yeah, it it seemed like they were confused once they got in the door.
0: Yeah, it it seems like we may have been saved by incompetence of the Trump administration and and a few mechanisms that were in place to save us that the Republicans are systematically removing those. Those things that saved us. And uh, we may get somebody smarter in at some point. That that that's a scary thing. Yes, it's it's scary when
1: you dread having smarter people in government. <laughs> yeah, anyway, we'll, we'll leave that. Maybe one.
0: True. So but you're you're so this is Lauren Domico's with us. He wrote a blog called The Myth of American Exceptionalism. And I think it's important to note, like, because the immediate response is this America love it or leave it thing. Like, like you're not a hater of America, you're you're, you're like uh, what Rachel Held Evans said about the church. Like I I'm, I'm the, I'm the girlfriend, the ex-girlfriend who's still checking out my boyfriend's Facebook page. Like you're still looking back at America as an American, a a, a dual citizenship American, not hating it, but saying, Hey guys, let's take a look at this. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm, it, it, it is funny because the the comment has been thrown at people protesting on the left so many times. If you don't like it, leave. Um, go back where you came from. I actually did. I did go back where I came from, <laughs> which is, is a little bit amusing. Um, but no, I, at this point, I'm sitting and I'm honestly, I'm scared. I'm I'm looking at what's going on in the U.S. I'm looking at specifically what's going on, uh, I'll say, with my former tribe, you know, but kind of post-evangelical. And I'm and it it really concerns me. And so at this point, we're here, we're out of the country. I think I've got a unique perspective to be able to look back and go, okay, what's different? What's the same? What's changing? And, you know, people people have talked about. Right. It's it's hard for the frog to see that it's being boiled. Um, We're able to kind of have that perspective from outside looking back and, and see
0: what that looks like. So, so, first, let's let's come back to sort of the geopolitical slash religious. And just from a life perspective now, you know we we've always been told America is the greatest country in the world. Everybody wants to be us, if not, be here with us. you are are living in Sicily, right? you're 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 on the on the island off the boot, right? And, um, so what does America look like from there? And is it true that our life is way better than everybody else's life in the world? <laughs> so it, it depends
1: on how you measure better. Okay. And it's, it's fascinating because I'll talk to people here that are, are talking about going to the United States and they'll ask the same questions, right? You know, why should I go? Why should I not go? Et cetera. Um, and America is, I would still say, the land of opportunity, that said, it's the land of it's the land of financial opportunity, right? We all know that. It's also the land of opportunity to get shot.
0: Um, it's the land of opportunity. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, you come so right I in slip there. That was almost a spit it out. It's also the place for the opportunity to get shot. Okay.
1: Yes, America is also the place for the opportunity to get shot. It's also the place with an opportunity to go bankrupt due to your medical issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working on getting all of my healthcare set up properly in Italy. And, you know, your are slightly more right-leaning listeners may be disturbed. We do, in fact, have socialized medicine. Most of the world does. Um, <laughs> and it's tragic and horrible and people are dying in the streets, right? No, surprisingly. Uh, but the comments that I've heard was interesting. So I, I went to get this all set up mind you this was through a translator but we were talking to one of the bureaucrats that needed to process some of this paperwork and he made the comment of all these americans keep showing up in italy and they want free health care and he said if we were to go to america they would let us die and my friend who was translating who is also a dual american uh, american italian said is that true i was like well this uh, sort of yeah kind of um, you know, basically either we would let you die or we would force you to go bankrupt one or the other. Um, and, and yes, it's true. If you, if you walk into a hospital in America with a heart attack, they're not gonna, they're not gonna check your insurance before they treat you. It is true. We do stabilize patients, which is excellent. Right.
0: That And that's the law. Hospitals yeah, have that to is take you in in the emergency room, no matter yes. what. Yes. And,
1: and they have to get you stable, um,
0: which again is
1: excellent, right. um, uh, by contrast, Um, so here I am, I'm, by the way,
0: once they get you stable, then if you're like, like we have Medi-Cal here in California, you're going to go someplace different than the one with the really expensive private insurance. Yes. Yes.
1: And even that cost to get you stable will be charged to you. (laughs) So if, if you come in, they stabilize you. Now you've got bills that are usually Five figures if you're lucky, six if you're not.
0: Um, yeah, Six figures being 100 grand or more. Um, and, and by the way, most health plans are getting so expensive now that many of us just have catastrophic care in and of itself that our deductibles are so high, we're paying the medical out of our pocket. And because of that, many don't go get health care that they need. And, yeah. and that is the truth of the American healthcare care system. And by the way... I worked in this industry for a little while. Our outcomes are middle of the pack in the world. We we yes. don't have the greatest healthcare system of the world. we have a middle-of-the-pack healthcare system. Anyway, I interrupted. Go ahead, yes. Laura.
1: Well, it, and compared to most compared to most countries in Europe, I believe we're we're not even middle of the pack.
0: Is that right? Um,
1: oh. Yeah, it's it's considered pretty bad. And when you when you look at outcomes per dollars, it's considered even worse.
0: Oh gosh, yeah. Because uh, we we yeah. I, I don't know if people understand this. They they think somehow I mean, our healthcare costs in America are exponentially larger. Uh, when you think of every dollar that's paid in healthcare in America versus say Britain per capita, our number is exponentially higher than than those countries. Yes.
1: Yeah, I, I looked at something the other day that was fascinating. It basically said our public health spending on healthcare is almost exactly the same as most developed countries' total spending on healthcare. So essentially if we took just the public health dollars and allocated that to healthcare and stopped spending anything private we would be right right about on par with most western countries um, yeah so it's it's interesting and specifically on the healthcare so i i talked to somebody on a flight who is a doctor in canada and again in a national healthcare system and was asking him about the delays that everybody talks about and we kind of have the same situation here. So, so what, this, what this looks like often is if, if you have some sort of elective thing, it is probably going to take a while to get it in one of these uh, nas- or nationalized healthcare systems. That said, you can get preventative medicine much easier. Um, I cut my finger open several months back and was able to very easily get healthcare from, from one of the local doctors in our town. He wasn't even my primary doctor he wouldn't even take my national health card. He just took care of it. And, and I kept telling him like, am I supposed to pay for this somehow? And he's like, no, no, you're good. Everything's fine. Okay, great. And, and I would say he provided better care in the sense that I think I went in five or six times for what in the U.S. I probably would have gone in once or twice. And so he kept looking at it, kept making sure it wasn't infected, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Wow. So that's a, that's a great experience with healthcare. And, and, and so these are important things to know. You you wrote the blog, and the blog, again, is called The Myth uh, of American Exceptionalism, uh, and it's on our, our nonpartisan evangelical page, and we'll link it in the, in the notes. Um, obviously, you wrote it, you posted it, you feel like it's important for people to know and understand. So why do you think understanding that some of what we've been told about American exceptionalism being a myth is important for people to know?
1: Yes, yeah, so I think we we walk around with this belief system that says and I, before i say this i'm i'm going to make some statements that maybe maybe are a little extreme maybe they maybe they push the envelope a little bit but i think it's a really great way to get people thinking so we walk around often with this concept that the way we're doing it whatever it is is probably the best way or at least one of the better options and therefore the way some other countries doing it yeah, probably isn't so great and that that puts us in a spot where we're not we're not prepared to learn you know we look around we see other countries are doing other things and we go well we're america we're already doing it the best way or or whatever however we might say that and i think it's really important that we we change that paradigm for one it makes it makes it really difficult to have productive conversations with anybody else in the world but for two, it makes it really difficult for us to learn anything from other countries that are succeeding in a lot of ways that we're really failing in.
0: Yeah. And, I, I you know, as you and I have kind of discussed this, even maybe the daily life that you're living in Sicily is one that promotes better health. And particularly as yeah. we're in a season where so many are talking about mental health, I, I'm a little bit jealous of the life I hear you leading over there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, so, so I took off for a little bit at lunch today, walked out my door, turned right, and I'm looking at these beautiful Italian hillsides. I pay, I think it's 500 euro a month for rent. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with the conversion, that's about $600 US for a thousand square foot apartment in a, in a gorgeous little community up in the mountains. And regularly will step out my door or, or drive somewhere and go, oh my gosh, this is incredible that I can live here. And I, I tell people it's a little like living in Hawaii at the cost of living of living in a uh, Kansas or some such place. No, no offense to anybody watching from Kansas.
0: <laughs> I've been to Kansas. <laughs> You're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> I, all right, I want to take a quick break and invite everybody to join uh, our Patreon page. And when we come back, I want to I want to tie this in then with how has religion become tied in with this patriotism. Uh, that really sort of brings us to what I think is a, an unhealthy place in America and even maybe a dangerous one. So we'll continue with uh, with Lauren D'Amico after this. i the Pastor Paul NPE Patreon community because it's where all the nonpartisan deconstructing interaction happens. On the NPE Patreon page with Pastor Paul, you get special regular e eInspire content that you can't get anywhere else. You get access to our podcast guests that aren't available to the public. There are special Zoom sessions with Ashley and me and previews to what's coming next in the Pastor Paul world. You're invited into the private NPE Facebook discussion group and there's access to the audiobook version of Paul's novel, Joseph Comes to Town, which isn't available anywhere else in the entire world and at higher levels of commitment, we can have one-on-one visits together or even coaching from my Pastor Paul coaching curriculum. The number one reason though to join the NPE Patreon community with Pastor Paul, to help promote this message. My message that God is not mad at the world. Your subscription helps fund the Pastor Paul work so we can bring this message to everyone, everywhere. So help support the Pastor Paul nonpartisan evangelical Patreon community. Join the Pastor Paul NPE Patreon page and enjoy the benefits of your subscription today. And help me, Pastor Paul, share with those who have lost their faith community and need to know that God is not mad at them. Go to our website on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash NPE podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash NPE podcast. Right, I love it. I love how I go third person and part of that and then come back around to to, to first person. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate all of you who are patrons out there. And uh, many of you maybe are able to join us here on YouTube from time to time. And uh, you guys help uh, enable me to be able to do this on a daily basis. So I appreciate that. And we also want to invite you, particularly with Lauren here, to join us on Sunday mornings. Those who have lost their community uh, may be looking for a place Uh, to gather around spirituality. We do that on Sunday mornings. Well, Sunday mornings to us, Lauren, but not to you and your family. But uh, you guys uh, are a part of our Sunday community that meets it's 10 a.m. Pacific time uh, here on the West Coast. And I don't know if you want to tell a little bit about what uh, being a part of Sunday community has been for you guys.
1: Yeah, and you know one of, one of the things I love about that you kind of alluded to it is we've we've got it structured so you really could join anywhere between the Hawaiian time zone and probably somewhere in the west side of Asia, maybe not <laughs> Eastern Asia. Uh, yeah, we, we joined joined seven o'clock at night for us, so it's perfect. But it's it's been wonderful. So I I think one of the challenges that I so often ran into in faith communities was you you throw out a question you you ask you know what do we actually mean when we say the Bible's infallible and everybody kind of goes uh go talk to the theologian or something i don't know you know or they just go that that's a crazy question you can't possibly question that um and what, what i love is we get on these groups and we throw out the crazy questions and and sometimes we throw out the crazy answers and and everybody has the freedom to step up and say that sounds crazy or, you know, you, you kind of pulled a fast one and that was a dumb answer. And I I love the fact that we can do that. And and I love the fact that, you know, even the person speaking, whether that's whether it's you, Paul, or, or Brian, or Bob, or myself, or, you know, whoever's sharing, people can even question that person live in a group of, you know, 20 to 30 people, plus whoever's watching streaming, and nobody gets clammed up. Nobody says, you know, that was inappropriate. People are like, yeah. Let's let's have it out. Let's have the conversation. So it's it's been wonderful. It's been wonderful for all those reasons. And then we get to break out into into breakout rooms every week and share with a much smaller group and and get to see what's going on in people's lives.
0: So. And we um, we join in the Christian tradition of communion together for those who you know sort of lost those sacraments or those holy moments in their life. And we invite anybody to take communion with us. And and we say you know communion isn't like this wafer and grape juice in a little cup from this silver tray that we get in the evangelical churches. Now communion was always bring what you have and have a meal together. And so we just say, Hey, uh, get a cup of water and a Dorito chip and we'll take communion together with that. So, all are Those welcome. Always bring really, really good stuff for community. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So come as you are. Um, sundaycommunity.org is our website for that. If you want to join that, or you saw it's on my events page for more info, but come join us for Sunday Community. So Lauren D'Amico is, is my guest on the podcast today, and we're talking about his blog about the myth of American exceptionalism. You know, you are expressing some concern with culture from January 6th and what we've seen. And then you made the statement of in America, you have a, a good opportunity for economically and you have a good opportunity to be shot. <laughs> um, talk more about maybe what you see in the American culture that maybe isn't exceptional as you think about that. And, and I particularly remember, and I don't know if you want to take it this way or not. I remember you talking about some kids playing with some play guns outside and and how that's viewed differently in a country like Italy than it is the United States.
1: Yeah, that that was a that was a fascinating experience for us because it was it was myself, my wife, our kids, another friend of ours who was who was here from the US for several months, and her kids. And we were we were at a square in front of the church. And the, the way culture works here, the square in front of the church is also the children's play area, is also the playground, is also where the old men hang out and, and chit-chat and drink their coffee. Everything happens there. This is, this is the, the town square. And so we were there, and there were these kids running around with this little plastic uh, GAC gun, I guess. I, I don't know. It was shooting out these tiny little plastic bullets. And the, the three of us American adults kept looking at each other and going, oh my gosh, when is somebody gonna tell these kids to stop? Or when is a police officer gonna show up and something horrible gonna happen? And I kept looking around, watching to see what was gonna happen. And I finally realized nobody else seemed even in the slightest bit concerned. <laughs> um, and I started to go, what's, what's up with this? And I realized for them, this was clearly a toy. For me, I'm hearing what sounds an awful lot like gunshots. Granted, somebody who's worked with guns more could probably tell by the pitch that it wasn't a real bullet or whatever. I don't know. But it sounded like gunshots. Um, And so for me, I'm having this PTSD response of gunshots. What do I need to do? And these kids and adults and everybody else who was there, none of them cared at all. And nobody was getting hurt. Like I say, it was a tiny, rather slow-moving plastic bullet. I was seeing it being shot point-blank at people, and nobody seemed to care. Um, but it was, it was a fascinating dichotomy to see uh, what, what that looked like and the, the psychological experience that was different. And I've, I've noticed the same thing at, uh, at holidays here, because they set off what we call paper bombs which are about as loud as a, as a full-on explosive bomb. They shake the buildings like crazy, and yet nobody seems bothered by them at all, um, except for a strange Americans that hear that and uh, start to look around and wonder what's going on.
0: And toy guns, particularly in the hands, or something that even appears has the appearance of a toy gun in the hands, particularly of a young African-American male, can result in death in America at a, at a not so rare rate. Yeah. And, and so you're just in a culture and and maybe we've just, we, you mentioned the frog in the kettle. We just don't understand that that is like common in American culture and not other places. And that, that is isn't exceptional, right?
1: Yeah. And, and what was interesting, like, I, I rarely see kids playing with guns here. And so we were all kind of like, wait, what's going on? This is strange. Because it's just it's not a normal play toy here, but it was it was definitely remarkable to see the difference in what the reactions were. But to the to the not exceptional, you know, another another thing that we've noticed here was we we arrived, drivers here. I think it's entirely reasonable to say they're they're pushy, maybe slightly crazy. <laughs> um and and yet the thing that that amazed me over the first few months, we were living in a city of 800,000 people and it would make the city news when there was like a fender bender. And we hardly ever saw them. and I, I kept going, there's got to be people dying in the street every day. these drivers are nuts And yet there wasn't. and and so I finally I looked up the statistics because I was like, am I just not seeing it or like what's going on? And sure enough, Italy has half the traffic fatalities as we do in the United States per capita. So what mm-hmm. that means is if you take 100,000 people or 100,000 cars in, in each country and you look at how many traffic fatalities there are for that 100,000, it's half in the United States, or sorry, in Italy. Um, and, and again, that's, that's not a factor of the population. That's, that's literally a factor of per 100,000 drivers, how many people are dying. And, and here it's half what it is in the US. And again, I found that remarkable um, to, to see that difference.
0: That's interesting. Do would would there be a, just just you know thinking as a devil's advocate? I mean, are there other factors involved? Do we drive more and farther in the United States? I, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, my wife and I on on Monday drove up to San Francisco and back, and even my friends in the eastern United States are like, "What? You drove <laughs> a three and a half yeah. hour trip each way in one day? You know do do we do that more than Italians?" You're certainly driving a whole lot more
1: than the Sicilians Uh, here here. If you drive an hour, it's considered a long drive. So that that part is certainly true. The interesting part, though, is the level of using seatbelts is lower. The crash test ratings on cars are lower. Anything that you would say like, oh, this should drive safety is worse here. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet the outcomes
0: are are dramatically better. And do you think that's something in our mentality? What do you kind of pin that to?
1: So the, the shorthand that I give people is the rule here is don't kill somebody who's in front of you. And so pragmatically, what that looks like is in, in the U.S., somebody cuts you off in traffic. What do you, what do most people do when somebody cuts you off in traffic in
0: the U.S.? Honk a horn really loudly and, and, bla- and, and throw a middle finger?
1: Yeah, and, and maybe tailgate them the rest of the way, right? Or, sure. or
0: you know, do some other
1: probably dangerous maneuver, right? Here we're used to it. You get cut off all the time. People people jump in front of you. It's no big deal. You move on with your life. And and the rule is you don't kill the person in front of you. And so if if you're cruising down the highway at 50 and you see somebody pulling out in front of you, you slow down. You don't speed up, you don't honk, you don't try and swerving it around them. You just slow down. And and you deal with it. And so Mm. In in their driver's handbook, there is a, a phrase, I'm, I'm sorry, I should have brought it, but that basically says part of being a decent human being is to look out for the other people on the road. Wow. And it was a fascinating statement because I read it and I went, oh, my gosh, I don't remember reading that in driver's ed in the US. I remember reading you should be a defensive driver, right? Be careful of yourself. Right. But I don't remember there being this. This rather profound golden rule-ish statement in the driver's handbook of, "Hey, take care of the other guy,
0: So now you've hit it, I think. Uh, that's it, at least what I hear in that is now we get to this root of gosh, darn American individualism. it is it is all about me and my rights. and being cut off is uh, is an injustice. It's oppression against my rights. and and as Americans, we respond aggressively to that, whereas you're you're in a society more where like, hey, we're all going to drive insane and we're going to look out for each other in the middle of it. It's a very different mentality.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's fascinating to live in a in a communal culture. And I, you know, I, I said at the end of the article that it it feels like in America those personal rights kind of trump everything else. And I've gotten a lot of pushback on that from people saying, well, no, like we we give money to, to third world missions, we help all these people, you know, this, that, and the other. And I've I've been kind of pondering that out and going, well, well yeah, like what what does this look like that we have these kind of contradictory values? Um, and I, I kind of put together a, a simple analogy that I, I think may be helpful to share of you know if you've got if you've got this person who, you know, they're nice, they're caring, they're gentle, we'll call them Fred. But each time Fred sees a dog in his yard, he kicks it, right? Because the dog is going to come poop on his yard or whatever. So he right. kicks the he kicks the dog, right? But he sends money every month to the Humane Society for injured animals, and so so we can agree Fred has a value of being a very nice, gentle, caring person. He seems to have a, some level of a value of caring for animals, and yet that value is not strong enough to trump the value of his yard staying poop free
0: yeah and
1: in a very real sense i feel like that's what we see in america over and over and over again is we're willing to spend money for xyz we're willing to proclaim how wonderful we are and yet when that person whoever that person may be you know the refugee the immigrant the person of a different race whatever it is is standing there right in front of us we, we're not nearly as inclined to, to reach out and help, particularly if their, their action of standing in front of us feels like it's violated our rights in some way.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think what you're saying there is so important. And I think to take, you know, build off your analogy, it is, we, we're giving out of our abundance. Like you say, we have yeah. great economic opportunity, we have great wealth. And so we give generously out of our abundance but anything that will cost me healthcare being what you know the this idea of well i don't want my money to go to help that person have free healthcare because then they're going to get lazy you know or something we actually don't do things that cost us right we're we're as americans we give out of abundance so we can check the box that we're charitable people but gosh darn cut me off in traffic <laughs> And you're you're dead to me. And, and maybe literally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and again, I, I don't want to uh, I don't want to contradict the statement that there are people who are genuinely generous who are Americans. And, you know, that's the other thing that people have called out. They're like, oh, my gosh, you're grouping three hundred and eighty million, whatever it is, people together and calling them one bucket. And obviously that's not fair. Right. I think it I think it is fair to look at our country as a whole, though, and kind of yeah. say, wow, well, where where are we? You know where are we as a whole? Where are we as a voting unit, right? You know, and if if as a voting unit we're one of the few countries in the world that can't do socialized healthcare, that says something about us as a as a nation and where where our values are sitting.
0: And, and we get we get bogged down in that language. I have people tell me all the time, like, "Oh, what you're saying about evangelicals? That's not true of all evangelicals." And and yes, but you know what 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 the Bible says is we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the air. And I, I think in modern parlance, what that means is we're wrestling against mindsets and and this is a mindset of America. And in some ways that individual rights thing has been very important in democracy and and a lot of things that we do well and, and have been a light to the world in those things. But, but we see a day now and, and particularly in this marriage of, religion and politics of a of a marriage of our evangelical religion to a political party that has now been absconded by an extremist ideology that that individual rights thing now is is like you can do nothing and and i kind of to put it into an example i was having a conversation with somebody the other day and and he's talking you know taxes is a big deal to us and and he was saying yeah the government's stealing my money and and i said what if what if we turned that to say, instead of the government being this, this, and I understand why you're saying it that way, but if the government's not this entity out here stealing our money, but the government is actually us determining right. together how we're going to pool some money so that we have fire departments and roads and schools, and we start to think of it from that mentality, then we can argue all day long about what level of of pool that should be, and how much each of us is putting into it. But even just that tweak of mentality that starts to say, "Well, I do want to give my fair share because I do want us to have good things as a community." How much, how much would that start to change things? And how much would we sound more like Jesus, who said, um, "Don't worry so much about taxes. Worry about doing what God would have you do." <laughs> I mean, it, it. You know, how much more would we look like Jesus at that point?
1: Well, and let's be blunt. The only one doing the stealing is is the voters stealing from our grandchildren, Oof. because we're we're the ones authorizing these obscene expenditures that go way beyond our budget, and we know full well we're passing on the, those costs to our to our kids and grandkids.
0: Truth bomb, yeah, and that's why I think your your blog is so important. I think american christians at some point have have got to start to look at just this very basis of our of our political beliefs and i i I did a post about about kyle rittenhouse in the trial here a couple of weeks ago and and literally the responses of from white evangelicals has me so concerned about where we are where our values are where our heart is that I think it's really important that we start to break down some of these beliefs about ourselves. And, you know, and just like one man was saying, you, you talk about being shy, he was he was like, when there's a riot, the only thing that can stop it is an is an equal or more powerful force, right? And I said, in base human nature, yes. If you're a Christian professing to follow the teachings of Christ. Absolutely not. It's it's the absolute opposite. And, yeah. and the Hatfields and McCoys would tell you, hey, that didn't work out very well. <laughs> you know, yeah. Kill one of ours, we'll kill two of yours. Eventually, you're all dead and that doesn't work. So I think we're really missing a very basic in the belief that our country is so good. We're blessed by God because of it. And therefore, everything that we are needs to be fought for and advanced. Is is really missing something basic in in who Christ was and what his teaching was.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know, one of the one of the other interesting things was I grew up being told that America was a very young country. And it's true in the sense that our our bricks are young, our, our buildings are young. If you go, if you go wandering around, you're not gonna see, you know, Greek Parthenons, right? Um What's fascinating though, that as I've as I've looked into this a little bit more, we're actually a very old country in terms of the the current state governmental system. Um when I when I got to Italy, I started researching the history here. Italy's only been a republic since the end of the Second World War. Italy's only been a unified oh. nation for about 150 years. The the US is pushing 250. Um and it's it's interesting because if we look throughout history, uh, empires, if I dare call America an empire, empires rise and they fall. Yeah. Um, they, they do not stick around forever. They, they show up, they do their thing, and they usually disintegrate. And they usually disintegrate for a lot of the same reasons that we're seeing ours begin to have problems. Mm. Um, you know, They get too big, there's too much infighting, there's too many different people, there's too many people upset at this, that, and the other. And it's it's interesting from that perspective to look at the U.S. and go, the U.S., according to our founding fathers, was a great experiment. And people have built on that great experiment. We've seen all these different republics and other types of governance pop up all over the world and people have modeled after the constitution. Instantly, interesting, Interestingly, sorry, I can't talk today, interestingly, I have yet to hear of any country making a photocopy of our constitution and signing it. Mm. They've all taken it, built on it, changed it, modified things, presumably improved it, and then signed it. We're, we're one of the few that has a constitution that's this old, and we haven't made amendments to it in decades and likely never will.
0: Because we can never is, get an amendment passed no, today. No.
1: We can never get an amendment through. And so at this point, the only way for our constitution to change, dare I say, the only way for our constitution to catch up with the rest of the world's constitutions is for our current governmental system to somehow dissolve. Oof. And I think it's a scary place to be, but I think it's a reality that we need to, to look full in the face and go, okay, we have this, this entity that seems to just be getting worse and dysfunctional by the year. And we don't really have a way to fix it.
0: Yeah. The, the, the danger I see in, in our community, I I think our tribe, you said earlier, for those of us that grew up evangelical is, is this belief that America is this God ordained entity that being patriotic and being Christian, American patriotic—not like we wouldn't honor an Italian patriotism for Italy—but American patriotism equals Christian, and Christian equals American patriot. I think is a very dangerous mentality, and the and and that then the beliefs around that that the Constitution and the Bible both floated down from Sinai, <laughs> and and are untouchable and are inerrant and uh, and all of those things. And because what I see in in right-wing white evangelicalism, and I know there are there's diversity, but but still the basis is Euro white culture is the most Christian and most godly of cultures, which is by the way, we could call that white supremacy if we if we so desired. But that belief that somehow God's plan on earth exists through us as a nation is is a tragically bad theology and leads to January 6 type things and i believe is exactly or very 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 close to the belief system of the religious people that jesus denigrated often loudly and publicly in the bible
1: yeah and you see it you see it in the bible you then see it in the holy roman empire um, yes, <laughs> which is which is such a strange concept. Holy Roman Empire. Right. How did these all get mixed together? And we see it. We see it throughout the last 2000 years. And I,
0: uh, by the way, I.e. I, Christian America. Yes.
1: Yes. So I, I should have seen who whose quote this was, but they were they were talking about how you regularly see what happens is you've got Christianity then it gets mixed with politics, and you end up with this toxic, nasty combination: the Holy Roman Empire, the the religion wars throughout Europe in I'm going to mix up the century 1700s-ish no. somewhere there, right. 1800s. Um And but now
0: Anglican, we're seeing this, the Anglican Church in in right. Britain. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, you've got the Anglicans against the Catholics. You've got the Lutherans against the Anglicans. Like,
0: you know, everybody's content to kill
1: each other, and you you see the same thing playing out here where I mean you look at you look at January 6th and you see this bizarre mix of of religion and politics and hatred and just all sorts of nastiness all grouped together. Um, and every time we see that where we see Jesus going from being the lowly servant leader who is inspiring people to be giving to Jesus somehow being an authoritarian governmental figure, which I I don't see in my Bible, um, every time that shift happens, it seems to cause problems for government, for the cause of Christ and for everything else it touches, quite frankly.
0: Mm. The the gospel has become an ideology now. Yeah. And not only is it apostate and heretical, it is driving the next two generations away from the church, which, which may be a good thing. But I think ultimately what you said, that's really valuable here is if, if Jesus were here today, he would say, if you are cut off in traffic, make space. So both of you don't die. Right. I think that's a truth bomb right there. <laughs> <laughs> and and yet you hear it and you go, well, duh,
1: like that seems obvious. And yet, you know, spend any time in L.A. or San Francisco or any other major city and you'll see how, how not obvious it is, sadly.
0: It's funny because I just saw this yesterday. It, it was rain. It never rains here. And and for the last two days, we've had massive amounts of rain. And I was walking out of a, a, of a coffee shop and I hear this horn blast, you know, from this car. And I look up and, and we've got car wars going on. And all of a sudden the car in front on a rainy day and when it rains here in Fresno, our, our streets get incredibly slick because the oil doesn't get washed off very often. And sure enough, man, the guy in front slams on his brake because he's pissed off at the guy honking behind him and boom, you know, there's no way the car behind can stop. And now, you know, they're out yelling at each other. And and I do think it's it, it's a funny way to see when Jesus said, hey, do I owe this tax Peter and Peter says, no, you don't owe this tax. And Jesus says, well, let's pay it anyway so that we don't offend. That's a very different mentality than this right-wing American mentality. And so looking back and saying, hey, Americans, you might not be everything you think you are isn't a love it or leave it moment. It isn't a, oh, you just hate America moment. It is like, guys, let's look in the mirror because we've built a myth that has now infiltrated our theology and is leading us down a path that, we, that, that the only outcome maybe can be the same as that Holy Roman Empire. And if we want to avoid that, it's going to take some self-correction along the way. So thanks for bringing that challenge, Lauren. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hope you enjoyed that discussion. Hope it made you think. Hope it made you a little bit uncomfortable. That's what we want to do here. Bless you as you rethink your faith, Because God's not going to be mad if you do. In fact, God is not mad at you at all. I'm Pastor Paul. We'll talk to you soon.